Thank you for taking time to listen to our service. We're happy you've joined us today. Visit NBCOcala.com to find out more about who we are as a ministry or get information about upcoming events. There you can also discover all the convenient ways to partner with us financially. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the service. Good morning, Meadowbrook family. I'm thoroughly enjoying my time away, but thoroughly missing you. As you're well aware, though, we've left you in great hands for the summer series. Today's guest speaker has a special place in our hearts. As you know, we are a regionally accredited campus for Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. That's why it thrills me today to have with us Dr. Kent Engel, the president of Southeastern University. He has spent years in ministry, having pastored churches in both L.A. and Chicago. Now his passion is to see young people capture the God-given potential embedded in their divine design. I know his message will empower you in your journey to live life with passion. Stand to your feet and give a huge welcome to Dr. Kent Engel. Thank you. Well, good morning, Meadowbrook Church. It's great to be here. I have been looking forward to this time for quite some time, coming back to be with you again. I love this community. I love your friendship. Uh, I love your love. Your friendship and your love, absolutely contagious. You can sense it from the moment you put your foot on this campus. And when you come in this morning, we got in a little early and had a chance to hang out with Pastor Tom. That's always a great time when you can do that. And, and Lewis as well, and uh, in preparation as we got ready to spend some time with you today. It's just a privilege to be here. I love your mission. I love what you're all about, discovering peace. Uh, isn't it wonderful when you can have a peace that surpasses all human understanding in your heart, in your life, no matter what's going on, no matter what the circumstance, you know with that peace, all is well. Because of a life transformation in Christ Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's what it's all about as you on your journey with him. I tell you, I love our partnership, Southeastern partnering with you and coming alongside a generation of students, a generation of leaders that God is raising up. We get to come in partnership, come alongside them, helping them to continue discovering and developing their divine design. So they can go out and serve Jesus. They can serve the church. They can serve the world. Whatever calling that is, whether that's in ministry or business or education or healthcare, they're going out and they're being salt. They're being light in the community representing Jesus Christ. And we love the partnership that we have with you raising up those students right here in your community. And I love your pastor, Pastor Tim. I'll tell you why I love him so much because he's real, he's genuine. He's transparent. He's a leader that absolutely loves you with an amazing love. I had the chance to uh, talk with him on Friday evening in preparation for tonight and he, or this morning. He said, now make sure you greet them for me. So I, I want to say hello by, uh, by your pastor today. And he said, and then right before uh, we, we stopped communicating, he said, now make sure you feed them well. So I said, I will. I'll, I'll do my best. 
And we're going to do that this morning as we look to the Word. I'm going to look at a couple of passages in Scripture. Uh, the first one we're going to start out is in James chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, whatever form it is, electronic, maybe you have a real one with you today, or it's your phone or iPad or whatever it is, but we're going to begin looking in James chapter 5 uh, and, and see what God... I want to tell you, when, here, here's, here's my heart today. I want you to be able to leave this place. I want you to walk out of here this morning knowing without an absolute doubt that we serve God who specializes in the impossible. And he specializes especially the impossible in your life, in your circumstance, and what you're facing today. How many of you know that when you write a letter, and, and it's sad to say, but we've kind of lost the art of actually sitting down and writing out a letter. It's all now emails and texts and all of that. But, but I remember writing letters, especially to my wife. Um, we just celebrated last month 32 years of marriage. I'm grateful to God for her. Uh, I call her Jehovah's Nudge. She's always nudging me in the way that I know God wants me to go and wants us to go as we serve him. But uh, we were looking back over some of the letters that I had written to her uh, when, uh, when we were dating and then right before we got married. And, and you know, when you write a letter, the most important part of the letter is the last part. It's that last paragraph or that last couple of sentences because usually that's when you get right down to business and you communicate your heart. You communicate what you're passionate about, and we were looking at a couple of them, and one of them had said there at the end, I, I said, Karen, I just want you to know, man, I, wow, I just wish I would have found you a, a lot sooner because I would have been able to love you a lot longer than I already have. And, you know, oh, everybody goes, yeah, how sweet, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and then, but I, I, we looked at one letter at the, it was right before we got married. I think it was about a week before um, we said our vows to each other. And, and I remember writing this letter, and towards the very end, I, I communicated. I said, looking forward to our day that we will unite and be that couple that God has called us to be. And, but at the very end, I, I wrote, I want you to know that there is no doubt I will always love you. And when I love you, it will be without condition. And I want you to always know that, that I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to hear what's in your mind and what's in your heart. And I'm going to do it without ever judging you. I want it to be that, that genuine in, in my approach to serving you. I talked about that, 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 honey, I want to always do everything I can in a compassionate way to care and to always do that without expectation. But most importantly of all, I want to be able to serve you without reason. Without reason, because God has called us to be together and we have great days ahead. And and that was my heart. I was communicating because that was what is important to me and, and the value that I had. So, so when you write, what you communicate at the very end makes all the difference in the world because it communicates a heart. And, and when you study Scripture and you look at the letters, especially in the New Testament, you sense that at the very end of each letter. Very powerful. And, and one of my favorite books is the book of James here in the New Testament. And, and at the end of James' letter, he, he's got some very important words that he wants to say. So beginning with James chapter 5, starting with verse 17, he says this. He's telling a story. He says, Elijah was human, even as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain. The earth produced its crops. 
He says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, those who turn sinners from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. And may God add his blessing to his word this morning. The final words of James, and, and in these final words, he's referencing actually this incredible prayer, a miraculously answered prayer prayer that happened hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years prior to, to his time. Now, let me, let me give you the context here. You see, Elijah is a prophet in the Old Testament. And if you know anything about a prophet, it's the job of the prophet to make sure that the people are honoring God. They're being faithful. They're being obedient in relationship to God. When the leaders don't honor God, when the people don't honor God, even when the priests don't honor God, the prophet has to step in. And has to speak up and has to proclaim boldly, hey, you've got to straighten up your act. You've got to repent of your sins. You've got to get back into right relationship with God. You've got to get back on board and put your hand into the hand of God so that he can lead you and he can guide you in what he has for you as a nation, the people of God. It's really important in that kind of relational context that you have that right. And so during Elijah's time, you study, it, it was there was such a a bad streak of behavior in Israel, not just in the people, but actually the worst streak of behavior was happening with the leadership of Israel. Uh, and, and I mean, you talk about it, it would be from one king to the next king to the next king. It went from bad to worse and worse. And in fact, there's a little old phrase in the Old Testament about the time of Elijah that it literally says that it was so bad and so evil during that time that wickedness became a trivial thing in the nation of Israel. People just got accustomed to how corrupt and how violent and the hatred that was going on uh, in the nation of Israel. And, and then when everyone thought it couldn't get any worse, guess who comes on the scene? King Ahab comes on the scene. And he was the worst of the lot, the worst of the worst, and things really start going south under his leadership. So Elijah the prophet, he, he steps up and, and he says, I've, I've got to do something. This is, this is not right. And he's been talking to the leaders and they're not going to listen to him. He's been talking to the people and they don't seem to care and they don't listen. Uh, so he says, there's got to be something, God, that, that stops them in their tracks and gets them to return to you. So as he's thinking and praying and trying to discern what God may want, he's he starts to think, you know what, maybe, maybe some kind of natural disaster, uh, maybe a famine that would sweep across the land. You see, maybe if there was a drought or, or something like that, there was no food and people would realize this is something they can't do anything about. Only God can supernaturally come in and have an impact and make a difference. Only God could solve the problems. Only thing is, he's wondering, how does this happen? I can't produce a drought. I can't cause this to happen. And how do you get a drought done? So Elijah starts thinking these kinds of thoughts and he all of a sudden realizes, now wait a minute. If God is who he says he is, if God is almighty, if God is sovereign, God can do anything. God can step in. He could superintend, you know, on the natural you know, order and shuffle the high pressures and, and, and the low pressure systems. He could, he could clock them around so that there wouldn't be rain in a certain part of the land. Elijah thinks all of this over and concludes, yes, 
I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray with incredible faith. I'm going to have faith to believe that God can do the supernatural. So can you imagine that prayer, that, that prayer of faith? Dear God, he's calling out, God, close up the heavens. Why? Because we want the people to return back to you. We want them to seek your face. Close up the heavens. I know that you can do this. And he's praying. What happens? God answers. Because of his faith, he answers. And there is no rain. Not one year, not two years, but the Bible says three and a half years. And what does it do? It drives the nation of Israel back to God, and they get on their knees, and they repent to him. And then after a while, Elijah says, okay, okay, God, they're back, they're, they're serving you, we gotta, we, gotta, we gotta switch this back around. I believe you can, uh, once again, supernaturally, you know, clock the meteorological systems and, and the pressure systems of the land, and, and let it fall, let the rain come. And he prays that prayer of faith, and God answers, and the rains come, and the crops are restored. This miracle was such a, uh, an incredible miracle, was such magnitude that, that they passed it on from, from fathers to sons and, and mothers to daughters, from generation to generation to generation, all the way up to the time of the writing of, of this letter by James in first century A.D. And at the very end of this letter, James is referencing this. Why? Because he senses God telling him. He senses the Spirit leading him, saying, Brothers and sisters, hear my final words. Here's what's in my heart. Here's what God is saying. Don't underestimate the power of God in your lives. You see, you see, in this letter, James had been talking about, you go back to chapter 1 and you start going through this, James had been talking about character. He'd been talking about suffering. He talked about the power of words. He talked about the power of discipline. But his closing words are so much more powerful. He's saying to them, he's saying, you're marching off to an uncertain future. You're going to face some trouble along the journey. There's going to be some difficult days. There's going to be pain that comes into your life. But don't despair. Don't get hopeless. Understand, you must live with this key value. Never underestimate the power of God in your life. In fact, it's reminiscent of the words of Jesus. Didn't Jesus talk about this? Didn't Jesus, when he gathered the people around and he began to teach and, and share, didn't he say this with man? Things seem to be impossible. With man, you cannot do this. This is impossible. But then what did he say? But with God, what? All things are possible. All things are possible. And friends, if you think about it, the underlying presupposition of the entire Christian faith, our entire faith is that God is sovereign. God can do whatever he wants to do. God can do miracles. He can do healings. He can intervene. He's always been capable of that throughout history. Scripture tells us all about that. He's capable today. He's capable tomorrow. He's capable way down the road, stepping in and providing what you need in the midst of that context. All throughout the Old Testament, my goodness, you, you go back and you look at that. God speaks through burning bushes. I mean, he parts the seas. He drops 
manna from heaven to nourish them. He, he, he creates upsets in, in battles. I mean, what's the message throughout the entire Old Testament? All things are possible with God Almighty. And then you come into the New Testament. What's the first thing you see? You see all of a sudden, he puts a star over the stable. And what's he saying? Tonight, a Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord. And he's come to give you life. He's come to make your eternity an amazing eternity forever in the presence of God. And then you see him grow. And then he he begins to teach. And he goes from village to village. And miracles and, and healings occur. Astonishing things happen. And then when the early church explodes in the book of Acts, we read that signs and wonders happened in the early church and people stood, what they stand in, in the awe of the power of God and the number of supernatural things took place in their midst. Human experiences, God began to change their hearts and he changed their lives. You see, fundamental to this whole notion of our faith is that with God, all things are possible. Listen to me carefully this morning. Hear this this morning. There's a huge difference in just accepting that as a theological premise in your life. I have to, to realize that, the same thing. I can't just accept that as a theological premise. There's a difference between that and proving it to actually be true in your life. Where you have that testimony, God superintended my life and had an impact. I mean, if I just said true or false, how many in this room would believe God can do all things? I mean, oh, yeah, 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 we believe, we, yeah, yo, definitely God can do that. But how about if we go a little bit deeper? If we plunge a little bit more into our faith, how many of you this morning are willing to pray some risky prayers? How many are willing to really step out on a limb of faith, way out and prove the supernatural power of God in your life, in your experience today, right now, even before you leave this place this morning? That separates the tire kickers from the buyers, let me tell you, right then and there. The kind of faith that you have. But hear this, once you pray that prayer of faith, you begin to believe God for the impossible, guess what else has to kick in? Trust. You have to begin to trust God with your life. You have to begin to trust God with your timing. You have to begin to trust God. He knows when, how, what needs to happen in your life. Let me tell you about another story in Scripture that speaks not only about faith, but trust. One of my favorite heroes in Scripture is King David. And of course, I remember hearing when I was a little kid in Sunday school, hearing about all the stories. You know, he he slew Goliath and he had great courage and and great strength. But as I, I got older, I began to realize, you know, David was a renaissance man. When you, when you think about it, I mean, he was a warrior. He was a musician. He was a poet. I mean, he was a, a chief economist. He was a statesman. He, you know, he, he, and he also had a huge love for God. We know that because God said he was a man after his own heart because of that love. But we also know David made a huge mistake at one point in his life. We all know that He committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. And then to compound that sin, he goes out and 
effectively murders her husband. And then he takes Bathsheba to be his wife. Scripture says they have a child together, a son. The story says that God disciplines David for the sin of adultery, disciplines for the sin of murder. And one of the ways that he chose to discipline David is that he announced to David that his newborn son would be ill and would pass away. And as soon as David discerned that and as soon as David realized that and knew, he knew that it was because of his disobedience. He knew that it was because of his sin. The Bible tells us that he laid flat down on the floor of the palace and he didn't shave and he didn't eat and he, and he didn't drink and he didn't even change his clothes. He wept. He fasted. He prayed. He sought God. In fact, it says he prayed 24 hours a day, prayed seven straight days. And all his staff, are, they're all you know, gathering around him and wondering, what, what's going on with you, David? Why, why are you doing this? Meanwhile, your child is, your, your son is getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And, and David, you're just, you know, 24 hours a day, you know, praying and face down and weeping and, and, and in despair. And, and then this, the Bible says the child dies. And some of David's staff get together and they say, now, wait a minute. We see his condition and And we see his shape that he's in. If we go in now and tell him that his son has just died, the scripture actually says they were so afraid to go tell him because they thought David might kill himself with sadness and such a sense of guilt and and had such overwhelming grief. But they knew they had to tell him sooner or later. So so one of them gets enough courage and and goes in very timidly and says, says to King David, he says, hey, Your son has passed away. What happens? David immediately jumps up. The Bible says he gets up and he showers and he puts on clean clothes. And he asks for some food. And then he walks over to the temple. And he kneels down and he just begins to worship God. Begins to praise God. Give God thanks. And he begins to call out to God, God, I love you. I worship you. I thank you. I still trust you as my God comes back and he starts going about his business. And his staffs, they're all kind of perplexed. One of them says, David, you know, your child, while, while, while he was alive, you were on the floor and you weren't angry and, and, and fasting and, and then you learn your child dies and all of a sudden you just get up and, and clean yourself up and you go into the temple and you begin to praise. What gives? What's going on? And here's David's response. 2 Samuel chapter 12 I want to tell you, this is, a, this is a phrase that God has implanted in my heart and in my mind over and over on my journey. It's David responding to his staff, explaining his behavior. Verse 22, 2 Samuel chapter 12. While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. You see, in that passage is another key life value. Two words. Who knows? Who knows what God might do? You see, David knew that God had pronounced judgment on his child. David knew that God predicted what was going to happen as a result of his own sin. But there's David. 
What's he doing? He's flat on his face. He's saying, while there is still one breath left in the lungs of my child, I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to have faith. I'm going to believe. Because who knows? God might be gracious. God might do a miracle. God might change his mind. Who knows? I've got to lean into hope. I've got to lean into faith. I've got to lean into the possibility, power of God to be brought to bear on this situation. And then he says, but when the child died, I realized it's time to move on. He says in verse 23, but now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back? No. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. How many of us, and I'm talking to myself as well, how many of us, most of the time, we think of worst case scenarios pertaining to our future, to our life, to our circumstance, to what's going on. But this text says, why don't you orient your mind towards best case scenarios? Why don't you use the words that, that David used? Who knows? God might be gracious. God might do something supernatural. Let's find out. The first 10 years of my life, the vocation that God called me was into television sports. And I was able to start in Bakersfield, California when, when I was just 18. God opened the door and I went in and began to do weekend television sports. And I uh, earned my, God opened up the door where I was in Los Angeles now and working at NBC. And, and God, I mean, it was an amazing opportunity. I, my first assignment when I went to LA was to cover the 1984 Olympics and and I was able to interview, I, I covered the track and field. I interviewed Carl Lewis when he won all four of his gold medals and was there for all of that. I covered the Showtime Lakers with Magic and Kareem and James Worthy and Pat Riley, all of them. Covered the Dodgers, Tommy Lasorda, Steve Gar. Oh, I mean, it was amazing. And all of a sudden, I get a nudge from the Holy Spirit. Kent, I want you to walk away from that amazing career, and I now want to call you into ministry leadership in some way, some form. When I begin to get that nudge, I said, God, you're crazy. What are you doing? Why are you, no, why are you calling me out? I know you'll put me here. Why now? Why? I mean, everything's great. I mean, this, it's going to be awful. I mean, I'm going to lose my freedom. And there, there goes all this incredible relationship and, 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 and money and all the perks that come with a position like that in a career. No, God, you must be crazy. I'm going to wind up in some church somewhere, and I'm going to have to do pastor stuff and all that. You know, what are you doing? kept nudging, and I couldn't get away from it. I couldn't get away from it. I couldn't get away. And I started thinking about worst-case scenarios. And then God said, now wait, Kent. What have I taught you through your life? Go back to even David when he said, who knows what I might be doing in your life. Hang on. God might be gracious in a new calling that he has. Who knows, the, this new adventure that he's taking on might be better than the one 
I'm currently in. I may not understanding in the moment, but who knows what God might do? Who knows? Who knows? God might use my life to a greater degree somewhere else, in a different context, in a different way than even the current situation. I've got to lean into hope and faith and not just default to a fearful position and to a worst-case scenario. I, I had to be obedient to, to God's call because who knew? And, and, and God knew. I mean, he was gracious to me. I came with it, a, a heart's breath of, of snuffing out that whole, whole idea that God had to call me into this new realm, except for those two words, who knows. And I took that step of faith, and I'll tell you what, it opened up an amazing door in my life. And my wife, Karen, and we were able to put together a team, and God called us to the northwest suburbs of Los Angeles, and we went to where a church, they were about ready to close it, and, and we went in and began to to retool that church and re, redesign it in a way that could reach the people of that community. We called it New Hope Church, filled with new hope that it can only come from Christ. And I want to tell you, God began to grow that church, and I literally thousands over the next 10 years, we had the privilege to lead that church and pastor that church, and thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Who knows what God wants to do? And I'll tell you this, I've got to remind you this morning of something, friends. David prayed for his son. He was leaning into faith, the God of the impossible. He was leaning into hope, saying, who knows, God might be gracious. God continued the course of action and didn't intervene in a supernatural way in that circumstance. But you look in David's life over and over, God, God did. God did miracles in, in ways that he needed. But you see, David also learned he had to trust in God, depend upon God, that God knows what's best as we cry out and call to him. And I can tell you, David, he would do the same thing. He would have prayers of faith and trust and believe. He would, he would say, what if, I mean, my goodness, what would be the alternate to that kind of life? The alternate to a life of faith is darkness and despair and hopelessness and fatalism. And if you want to live there, you can choose to live there. That's not the way God wants us to live. That's what not he has for us. And certainly in different seasons over the years, I've had some seasons of darkness and I've had disappointments and discouragement that were difficult for me to endure more times than I can imagine and care to talk about. And, I, I, and there were times I wanted to walk away and I wanted to bail. I was frustrated with maybe God's unresponsiveness, frustrated with this or that or the other thing, and I, I would want to bail on the whole deal. But just about that time, God's presence would come in and I'd go back to, to David, who knows what God might do. Who knows, a week from now, a month from now, three months from now, a year from now, God might step in and heal and change and make a difference in that circumstance. I'll never forget, after Karen and I, we got married, we talked about, man, we want to have a wonderful family and just knew God was going to give us a great family and it was on our hearts and we decided about two years into our marriage, we, we would start that family and and uh, one year goes by, and didn't have any children. Two years go by, no children. Three years go by, no children. And we started seeing our, our siblings and their spouses. They started having children. And it was tough to go to family gatherings because, you know, we loved our nieces and nephews, but we wanted our own family. Four years, nothing. Five years, nothing. We decided to go to the doctor and... We had all the tests done, and every time we'd have tests, man, you're as healthy as can be. There's nothing wrong. Just, you know, got to keep trying, and 
And uh, six years, eight years, ten years, thinking, God, it's not going to happen. We kept thinking, God, I know you put this in our heart. I'll never forget March 1994, ten years. Phone call came, just like that. It was missionary friends from the country of Romania. said, Kent and Karen, as you have been watching, the Ceausescu government had just fallen. Dictators had been killed, and now they were opening it up for people outside the country to come in because maybe you saw way back then the 2020 specials. They'd go into the orphanages, and literally thousands of babies and kids abandoned, living in orphanages, no one to care for them. And this call says, if you'll come to Romania, we can help you. We can help you adopt. What's so wonderful is my wife Karen is Romanian. You see, her grandparents had, had immigrated from Romania to America. And so we go, wow, boy, God knows what he's doing. So we, we go to Romania, and I'll never, we'll never forget the site. Went to Pitesh, a, a community right outside of Romania, about an hour north, going in an orphanage after orphanage, room after room, literally babies laying all over the floors, swaddled in, in clothes. You've heard the term swaddling, scripture. That's where they bind them so tight they can't move their hands or their legs. They're just like this. And all we would see is not laughter and what babies normally you would see distant stares and silent and still. Why? Because nobody had ever held them or loved them. And God said, I'm giving you an opportunity to adopt. Just like a Christ adopted us. And you see, we wanted three children. We got to adopt three children. Two boys and a girl. We brought them home. And our home became their home. Now, all these years later, our oldest son is actually studying in a global MBA program at Oxford uh, in England. Um, our daughter, she's a senior at Southeastern, and our youngest son, he's a junior at Southeastern. I'm so thankful that Karen and I kept leaning into faith, that we didn't default to worst-case scenario and have hopelessness and walk away and say, God, that's it. I'm not, we're not going to serve you because you didn't, you didn't give us a family. God gave us a family. It may not have been in the way that we thought it was going to be, but it was an even more special way that God gave us. And so I ask you today, don't stay in the safety zone. Don't, don't stay comfortable. Don't keep spinning out worst-case scenarios. Take that step of faith. See what God will do. How, how will you ever know unless you do that? Scripture says, the eyes of the Lord seek to and fro to find those whose heart will fully be his. He wants to strongly support you. I close with this this morning. If you go back to the very last few sentences of James, Elijah is talking about his faith and believing. And then the final, final words, James says, verses 19 through 20, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sin. It's not only faith, it's not only your trust, 
but it's also how you reach out. And what James is saying here in his final sentence, he's saying if you do nothing else that I've told you to do, you go out and you find a wayward, isolated, alienated person and you take them by the hand and you lead them to God. Why? Because one of the most important values in all of life, it's about people. It's about our relationships. It's the single most important endeavor that you can ever engage in in life. It's the people business. When you get to the end of your life and you stare death in the face, and you're about ready to slip into eternity. You are going to be glad for every investment you made in every human being. Every time you reached out and tried to take a hand that was disconnected from God and tried to connect them to the love and the grace and the peace of God in their lives. It's all about people. Love people. Serve people. Share the love of Christ with everyone you see, even hardcore cases. Why? Because who knows what God might be doing and will do in their lives. And who knows what God wants to do in your life this day. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. And I just encourage you as we pray to just ask God to help you respond to this. Whatever you're facing, whatever your circumstance, pray that prayer of faith. He's the God of the impossible. And then trust in him and know he knows what he wants to do with your life. And then the mindset that in the meantime, you're going to reach out and you're going to love those around you. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this service and this time that we've had together in your presence. What a great time we started out in praise and worship, entering into your presence, God, declaring your worth and who you are in our lives. And worship always stirs the soil of our heart so that we can be receptive to your word. And we have heard your word this morning. And I pray that your word builds our faith. In fact, the Bible says faith comes from hearing, hearing comes from the word of the Lord. I pray this morning we now in this moment of prayer act upon that word that we will respond to it God. That we will begin to leave, to believe God. That you will, I pray that you will encourage our faith. Will we rise up in faith God to believe that you are the God of the impossible. That you can intervene. That you can provide miracles, healing, deliverance. Set us free. Whatever we need today. I pray that you will do that. I also pray that we will trust in you. Your word says, if we trust in you with all of our heart and not lean on to our own understanding, but we will acknowledge you in every circumstance. It says you will lead us and guide us and direct our paths. So we commit ourselves today knowing that as we leave this place, you are the God of the impossible and that who knows every step of the way what you're going to do because our hand is in your hand and we ask it in Jesus' name and everybody said amen and amen.
If you want prayer, people are available this morning to pray with you. And God bless you as you go in the name of the Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.